Welcome to Locked on Yankees. I'm Jesse Spector, and in addition to being your host on this show and at LockedOnYankees.com, you can find me writing sports business at DealBreaker, hockey at NewJerseyDevils.com, more baseball in the pages of Rockies Magazine, and occasionally doing a bit of whatever at the score. In other words, I'm a freelance sports guy, used to work at the Daily News and Sporting News, and now I'm doing this. It'll be fun. Let's have fun! So, this is episode two of the podcast. And we'll start by talking about a second Yankees trade this time, with Tuesday's trade of Chase Headley and Brian Mitchell to San Diego for Jabari Blash, coming hot on the heels of the big acquisition of Giancarlo Stanton. Later on, I've got my first guest on the show, and the first installment of what will be a recurring segment here on Yankee, Locked on Yankees. Charlotte Wilder from SB Nation was kind enough to come by for the Yankee Haters Ball. And we'll wrap up this episode with a little more on the winter meetings and what might be next for the Yanks. First, we'll talk a little bit about this Chase Headley, Brian Mitchell, Jabari Bosch trade. Uh, Headley's gone. Wrote a, a piece about him, a fond farewell to Chase Headley, uh, that you can find now at LockedOnYankees.com. Headley was a good ball player for the Yankees. You know, good third baseman, solid guy. Very streaky, you know, had big ups and big downs. Came onto the scene with a, a walk-off hit in the 14th inning in his Yankees debut. Uh, Played a big role in the ALCS and, and was an important player there. Uh, sometimes coming off the bench after Todd Frazier came. Really did whatever the Yankees wanted him to do. Good guy. Uh, Going to miss having him around New York. Uh, wish him all the best in San Diego. But he's $13 million off the books for the last year of his contract. Turned 34 in May. You can understand why the Yankees were looking to get out from under the final year of that deal. I'll talk a little bit about that later on and what the options are at third base now. Brian Mitchell also traded. He turns 27 in April. Uh, he appeared at different points in four different seasons for the Yankees. Looked best as a starter in 2015, and that may be where his future is and, and how San Diego views him. He wasn't going to start here unless something crazy happened. There was too much competition at the back end of the rotation, and he hadn't really established himself in such a way as to make that happen. And I think it's, it's one of those where a fresh start, a new pitching coach, change of scenery, guy who has given up uh, more than his share of home runs, also going to a, a big-time pitcher's park with a big outfield, and not just in San Diego, but the whole National League west outside of Colorado and Arizona. So 60% of that division. But you got big parks there in L.A. and San Francisco as well as San Diego. So that's uh, probably a good fit for Brian Mitchell to try to get things going. Then uh, Jabari Blash is the newest member of the New York Yankees. Blash was an eighth-round pick by the Mariners in the 2010 draft, uh, a Rule 5 pick at the winter meetings two years ago by the A's, and they immediately traded him to the Padres in the Yonder Alonso trade. Uh, he stuck there, which is, which is always impressive for a Rule 5 guy. But he's had 100 strikeouts and 235 Major League at-bats over the past two seasons uh, and eight homers. Deal on Jabari Blash is big-time power, big-time strikeouts, backup corner outfielder, uh, and also a large adult son on a team that is team large adult son now, the, the New York Yankees. Blash is 6'5", 235, and he's the third largest outfielder on this team. Uh, obviously, Stanton and Judge are your two uh, even bigger guys, and... I think that as far as Blash goes with that, maybe there's there's something positive in that in being with uh, 
two guys who have dealt with, you know, being big guys with big strike zones. You know, big power is is something that they all have in common, and, and that's been the book on Blash. I think that you know, if there's a chance for things to work out for him as a major leaguer, maybe it would be here. But he's not a guy that's in the starting mix. He, he's a bench guy, um, you know, a, a backup corner outfielder, like I said, and. We'll see where this goes with him. He, he may never play a game as a New York Yankee. He might be Scranton-bound. He might just, you know, wind up being a guy that, that doesn't make it with the Yankees. But he's an, an interesting guy to at least get a look at in spring training, and we'll see how that goes. And that's kind of the result of a trade when you, when you have this. This is a salary dump by any explanation. I mean, this was about the Yankees uh, dumping Chase Headley's salary and, and getting further under that luxury tax threshold. And right now the Yankees are between Starlin Castro and Chase Headley. They are right where they were with regard to the luxury tax threshold before the standard trade. We'll talk a little bit more uh, about what that open room on the payroll means a little later on in the show. Coming up next, it's the Yankee Haters Ball with Charlotte Wilder from SB Nation stopping by. So stay tuned for that. And I just want to let you know if, if your company is interested in Yankee fans, especially uh, people between the ages of 18 and 44, that key demographic, your company should be sponsoring this podcast. There's room for it, and uh, be glad to have you on. So if you want to reach uh, Yankee fans in whatever demographic, uh, please do find out, email me. Uh, we have reasonable rates. My email here is lockedonnyy at gmail.com. That is also the address to send your emails to if you have mailbag questions for this show. So please do that, and uh, look forward to hearing from you, and uh, you can get on the ground floor of Locked On Yankees. That'll be really cool. Look forward to having you. Coming up, a closer look at what the Yankees can do with their newfound payroll flexibility under the luxury tax threshold after the Chase Headley trade. Now, though, I got a guest. With me now for a segment that I am calling the Yankee Haters Ball uh, is a, a good person to start this with. Uh, she's a staff writer for SB Nation, and back in October she wrote a story over there called These Yankees Are Likeable, and I Still Don't Like Them. So I thought that she would be the perfect person to have on this uh, debut uh, you know, installment of the Yankee Haters Ball, first guest at the Yankee Haters Ball, if you will, Charlotte Wilder. Charlotte, how you doing? Good, Jesse. How are you? I am all right. Um, it, it seems that we've we've also kind of taken a a bit of the narrative turn this week with Giancarlo Stanton coming to the Yankees. That the Yankees are now no longer likable because they have added another player who is likable. So you were ahead of the curve on this, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh God, I, the Stanton trade just. I saw it happening over the weekend, and I was like, no, why are you doing this? Um, because I just, like, I I hate the Yankees, and I hate that they have Stan now. <laughs> I mean, if, if, we're, if we're really getting into it. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a fair thing. And, and I think that you, know, you are a, a Red Sox fan, right? Yes, I am. Um, I, I shouldn't have to say right on that. It's it's patently obvious that you talk about it. Um, is part of it with Stanton that assumed for so long, like he was kind of destined to be a Red Sox? 
Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah, I think that's part of it. You know, I was hoping against hope that would happen. Um, I don't know that I ever actually believe that was good. I, I was never sort of, I did not have a good feeling about that for some reason, but I, you know, I just remember being at, um, I was at all-star weekend this year, mm-hmm. um, and seeing him and judge standing next to each other and just, you know, they're physically everyone. It was funny when people, there's media availability and everyone, every reporter around me was like, um, you know, Giancarlo, are you, um, you know, you and judge have similar body types, blah, blah, blah. And you could just see him sort of like by the 15th time, he was like, yeah, we're both big dudes. Like (laughs) he didn't, he didn't lose patience, but I, I sort of lost patience. I was like, yeah, we get it. Um, and now just knowing that they're both going to be bringing their incredible power to the same place. Like it, and the Yankees were already so good this year. I, I don't, it doesn't feel stoppable. I mean, Obviously, the Warriors comparison is so is so obvious, and I don't really want to make it because I, I don't blame anyone for going to the best team or wanting to do the best thing, and especially when it's not in their control. But I, I as a as a proclaimed hater of Yankees, I was pretty bummed. <laughs> it's funny because last year it was the Red Sox who were getting the Warriors comparisons when Chris Sale went there. I think it was Brian Cashman actually did that you know outright said that it was yeah. like they were the warriors now it's it's been a funny back and forth especially over these past you know five years where the red sox have yo-yoed between first and last and it, it's a weird dynamic to the rivalry and now they both come into this year with new managers and the yankees are team large adult son and mm-hmm. I, i'm i'm really curious what direction this rivalry goes now yeah, me too. I mean, I, I actually wanted to do a story last year um, sort of about what the rivalry is right now, and I, it's still something I'd like to to do at some point. But I think that when, you know, when I was growing up, obviously before 04, it was so easy to hate the Yankees for anyone, and it was so easy to be on board with the Red Sox. But, you know, winning three three World Series since then and having a team that, has been really good and has also been really bad and, you know, has kind of taken fans on a bit of a ride, but without that uh, weight of hundreds of years of heartbreak attached to it anymore has made it interesting. And and I was kind of psyched about this past year because it had felt like it was going away a little bit. But then when, when you had both teams, you know, eventually kind of get it together and, and be formidable, um, I think it it was really fun to to have that again. I'll be I'll be interested, honestly. Just I think that it's easy to say that you know they're Yankees are a Death Star now with both of these guys, but I don't think you can ignore you know Judge is not super consistent, um, and so I I don't think it's necessarily a a done deal that they'll you know make it to at least the World Series. You know I, I, they be a you know, postseason team for sure. I think, but I, I'm not. I'm not. All hope is not lost, in my opinion. Okay. Is it, for you is the rivalry or is life not the rivalry, but is is life as a Yankee hater better when the Yankees are good and fail, or is it better when they just flat out stink? Which you know they haven't flat out stunk for 25 years, but when they're 
you know, like the 08 team or the, you know, 15, 16 teams that they're just kind of out of it. Right. Oh, man, it's so much better when they're good. <laughs> it's so much better. Yeah, and that part, there was sort of a sadistic, sick part of me that saw the Stanton trade go down, and I was like, oh, hell yeah, bring it on. Like, I'm, I am I'm all in on hating this more now. But because it's so, you know, when someone's, what's punching down, it's still the Yankees, so it's not ever really punching down, but it isn't as satisfying to, to hate a team that is, actually not doing so great and and does have likable players because you know that's the thing is that I do genuinely enjoy a lot of the guys on this team um and um also love Stanton so I I think it's this really weird and I kind of wrote about this it's kind of like cognitive dissonance to hate the entity but be like Mm -hmm. oh I like those guys um and then and then they start doing really well and you, you know like when they beat the Indians I was just livid um so I think that there's, but I also think that there's a really healthy, you have to be able to separate it from the people and the thing. And it's fun to hate the thing. It's not so fun to hate people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I, I think that's one of the things that also gets complicated when you're in sports writing for a living is that like, you know, you you meet the people who are the actual people and it turns out that they're not horrible, evil terrible people and sometimes the people on the team that you like are horrible terrible people yeah oh my god i could not agree more like stanton saying i got stanton to to sing uh all smash mouth to me at the (laughs) at at all-star week i'm a huge fan like he's a he was really fun and i think that that's something that's been really interesting for me is i when i you know if i'm at home watching a game i can i can sort of revert back to fan mode but as a writer as someone who talks to athletes and and actually spends time with it very quickly any sort of team alliance or or you know wanting some you you end up kind of rooting for the individual people you know Um, and i think that it's probably healthy and it would probably be great if more fans could um, realize that there are real people behind the Twitter accounts that they say horrible things to. Um, but I, I mean, it's a, it's a huge privilege for, for me, but yeah, I think that it's definitely something you have to keep in mind. And it is, there is a huge difference between an organization and, and the people who are a part of it. Yeah, that's definitely, uh, it's changed the equation for me over the years. Um, yeah. A couple more things before before I let you go that I just want to ask. Um, do you have a most hated Yankee? Oh man, a most hated Yankee. Um, that's a good question. I, I mean, growing like I really did, I was I did not like Jeter. Fair, you know? yeah, I. You grow up with enough uh, Jeter sucks T-shirts around you, and it kind of seeps into your brain. But I don't have strong feelings about that anymore, um, to be honest. Even though I think he's a mole for the Yankees sent to destroy the Marlins. No, okay. <laughs> um, no, you know I I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. It's funny when you say you have a most hated Yankee. Images of all the Red Sox I love just popped into my head. So I think it was always way more about about who who they were up against than actually hating them personally. 
in that case, the flip side of it, do you have a guilty pleasure Yankee? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I loved Aaron judge this year. I also really like Clint Frazier. I love the whole thing with his hair. Um, Dean's great. I mean, I really, I really like them all, uh, which is just so it's, it sort of highlights how silly sports and fandom is in general. Um, but that's also the thing I love about it. Like, I, I love the fact that I can really enjoy a lot of the players on that team and still have this irrational kind of visceral reaction to the team itself, um, especially as the world has felt like it's been turned upside down in regards to anything that doesn't have to do with sports and some stuff that does with over the past year. Uh, it's felt like a kind of a normal, like a, a normal I can return to where I'm like, okay, well, it's good to know that in my gut, when the Yankees do well, I am always going to hate it. Like, that's one constant. That's fair. Um, and, and then the last thing is, um, you're a Patriots fan. Mm-hmm. Do you feel any measure of personal conflict over the fact that you root for the Yankees of professional football? Oh, man. You got me there, Jesse. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> I mean, no, there's nothing that could shake me from that fandom. But it is funny because I totally understand what it's like to be a Yankees fan. I totally get it. Um, you know, the one difference is that I don't think I, I think that New York is a more desirable or sort of a glitzier place to be from for athletes uh, than to, you know, especially for a lot of pads who have to live in Foxborough. It's, you know, I, I don't know. But, yeah, I uh, – I 100% understand that the evil empire of football is one that I am very much rooting for. And um, it's another, you know, the thing about being a sports fan is I think it often makes you a huge hypocrite. So (laughs) I'm just going to, I'm just going to own it. All right. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for attending the Yankee haters ball. Once again, my thanks to Charlotte Wilder, who you can find on Twitter at The Wilder Things, where she does do more than just hate on the Yankees. After one more break here, we'll take a closer look at what might be next for the Yankees, with the winter meetings in Orlando starting to wind down. All right, so the Yankees now have, according to FanRag's John Heyman, about $30 million worth of wiggle room under the $197 million luxury tax. If you remember last episode, I cited Mike Xisa from CBS Sports and River Avenue Blues, who calculated that the Yankees could spend something around $10 million. Headley was only on the books for $13 million, so where's the extra $7 million in there? It's because Mike, and wisely, I believe, was going with what the Yankees could reasonably spend in the offseason and still wind up under the threshold. Each player who gets called up from the minors goes on the payroll and gets charged toward that threshold, and there are other expenses along the way as well. It's... Uh, Still not officially a salary cap because you can go over it, but there are penalties, and uh, you know this is this is just how it all kind of works. You can have the debate another time about whether the Yankees should be guided by the tax marker, or if they should just be going out all out to win championships at all times. It's a delicate balance, and you know you can certainly make the argument that staying under now opens the door toward more championships later. It's one that I'm sure not sure the organization itself is even completely settled on. Here's Hal Steinbrenner on that subject uh, from last week. I, I think it's one thing my family has proven through the years is any time we have money come off the payroll, 
wherever humanly possible, we're going to put it back into the club, right into our pockets, and and that's going. We are certainly going to be active in the pre-agent market. We have had zero time to get into that at this point. Obviously, um, we're now going to go from hiring the manager to figuring out the coaching staff and all that. But it's winter meetings are imminent, and uh, we will be active in the pre-agent market. We will leave no stone unturned, and where we think we need improvement, we're going to do our best to, as we always do, to, to make it happen. So that was vague, but so far true. The Yankees have deleted money from the payroll in the form of Starlin Castro and Chase Headley and added it in the form of Giancarlo Stanton, and they've improved their team. Not really talking how they're about the, the 197 necessarily. But let's say it's an honest desire for the Yankees to plan their season in such a way that they can contend for a World Series and still be under the tax threshold so they can go headlong into that wild free agency class next winter. I know I said this debate was for later, but I think that it, that's reasonable. You've got a team that was one win from a World Series. You've already upgraded, and you're in position where you have two or three positions of consequence to fill, something on the order of $20 million to do it. Third base is open now, at least traded. Todd Frazier indicated he'd like to come back, but he's a free agent, probably seeking a multi-year deal. Miguel Antohar would make the league minimum. There's also risk in handing the job to a rookie. Similar situation at second base, where you don't totally know when Gleyber Torres will be ready. Right now, the Yankees are operating with a Ronald Torres, Tyler Wade situation over there. You could certainly upgrade it if you wanted to. One name I'd like to keep in mind here is Jed Lowry. Susan Slosser, a fantastic A's beat writer for the San Francisco Chronicle, had a story from the winter meetings on Monday night where she wrote that Lowry was both about Lowry's availability in trades and the Yankees, just not concurrently. The story was that Lowry, who's, and I, I use this term loosely, cap hit, if you will, $7 million, is a candidate to be traded from Oakland. Everybody's a candidate to be traded from Oakland all the time. But that the A's also, in the wake of the Stanton trade, might perk up at the chance to snag Clint Frazier as a guy who's now uh, excess to needs in New York. He still you know, could be a, a big-time player here. We'll see exactly what the plans are, but Clint Frazier's name has come up a lot. Uh, in the last couple of days as far as guys who might be traded. Now, I'm not suggesting, not for a minute, that Jed Lowry for Clint Frazier is anything resembling a reasonable trade, because it isn't. But you could see a case where a trade might come together involving those two guys that would help both teams, a, a larger trade. In Lowry's case, you know, he can play all over the infield, usually puts up numbers somewhere in Chase Headley territory, only has one year left on his contract, and again, it, it would be going from $13 million with Headley to $7 million luxury tax figure with, with Lowry. Lowry's actual salary for 2018 is only $6 million. I don't think that million-dollar difference is something that makes a difference to the Yankees in one way or another. That's where, uh, as much as I like Todd Frazier, I have a tough time signing him for multiple years when so much of this exercise is about having flexibility next winter to basically build a super team and Manny Machado is part of that free agent class. Or maybe Andohar is ready to become a star. Who knows? The other position, of course, is the starting rotation. Path of least resistance here is doing nothing to add to the front-line trio of Luis Severino, Masahiro Tanaka, and Sonny Gray. And then you'd have some mix of Jordan Montgomery, Chance Adams, Chad Green, and Luis Sessa filling things out. Maybe Justice Sheffield in that mix, too. Now, I don't know anyone who wouldn't be for... C.C. Sabathia coming back, that's the next easiest thing. Relatively inexpensive deal, go short term, everybody's happy. I think that works, and I think that's something that the Yankees have certainly been talking about pursuing, and you know, it seems like it might be picking up speed. 
Who knows? Maybe it happens. I can't see the Yankees elsewhere on the free agent market. They've been connected to Alex Cobb. I can't see them getting into a bidding war for a guy like that in, in this climate of market where it's not a, a rich free agent class as far as talent, and, and you might wind up overpaying for a guy like that who you don't really need. There's also the sexy route of the trade market. and The Yankees have all these prospects. A couple of names have popped up in reports of winter meetings, and, and it's definitely intriguing. You got Garrett Cole, the one-time unsigned Yankees draft pick who's become the ace of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and Michael Fulmer, the former Mets draft pick, traded in for Ioannis uh, Cespedes and uh, became the 2016 American League Rookie of the Year. Between the two, I'd prefer Fulmer. He'll be 25 in March, under team control through 2022. Still has room to get better. Cole hits free agency in two years. He's coming off a season where he gave up 31 home runs. Juiced ball or not, I think that's the kind of spike after he'd never given up 11 in a season before. has to be at least a bit concerning. I also think that as one of their cornerstone players, the Pirates would demand a higher price for Cole than he may be worth if he were coming from elsewhere. and You've got a better chance at a market value deal with Detroit. Again, we'll see how all of this comes together. I think that the easiest thing for the Yankees to do is to just go with what they have or go with a CC Sabathia, who they basically have already had. It would be, you know, re-signing him. Uh, and take your chances with that, and then you have room at the trade deadline to make upgrades that you need, whether it's in the rotation or elsewhere on the field, depending on what your needs are, and you maintain that flexibility. I think this is a good enough team as is to contend. We'll see if the Yankees feel the same way. I don't think we'll get all those answers before the next episode of Locked On Yankees this Friday. But then I didn't think Headley would be so gone gone so quickly either. So who knows? Maybe episode three will have a third trade to talk about. We'll definitely, one way or another, be putting a bow on the winter meetings. And that's it for today's show. I'm Jesse Spector. You can find me on Twitter at Jesse Spector, but really just go follow the show feed at Locked On Yankees. And if you've got a mailbag question, we'll have a mailbag feature here. Send it to LockedOnNYY at gmail.com. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Might not be up there just yet. This is the second episode. Sometimes these things take time to, to get on there. So just head over to LockedOnYankees.com, which is where you maybe already listened to this. So check out the website. It's cool. We're building it. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.